0: The cult of personality I know your anger I know your dreams I've been anything you want to be Oh, I'm the cult of personality Like Mussolini and Kennedy I'm the cult of personality
1: Hey now, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new edition of Over the Line, Wednesday edition. This one is June 10, 2020. The world is still on fire. Antifa now has their own country, and the coronavirus is still a thing. Not much has changed. Not much has changed. Well, except for the fact that the WHO is now telling us that the spread of the coronavirus amongst asymptomatic people people that don't know they have it that aren't showing any symptoms any signs of having COVID-19 that the spread of it from those people is very rare <laughs> which doesn't that eliminate pretty much everything that we've done since March all the panic, everything that should that should bring an end to all of that, right? That's what we were worried about. We were worried about people that didn't know they had it spreading. It's why people were wearing masks. Even though we were told in the beginning there were no need for for masks. Let's hope that's correct. Because as hundreds of thousands, millions of people across the country get out in very close quarters in protest, um, this thing is going to spread like wildfire. Here's my opinion. My opinion is we won't have a second wave. We're not going to have a spike because of the protest or anything like that. Because this bad boy has been here since last year. It didn't show up in February. It didn't show up in March. It's been here since last year. And I've talked to countless people, countless of you guys, that have told me the same story over and over and over. For those of you that felt incredibly ill, you went to the doctor, you get your flu test, you get all these these uh, tests run, and the doctor can't put his finger on it. He thinks you might have pneumonia, or it might be the flu, but they just they can't figure it out. So they send you home. You go home, thinking you got just a nasty case of the flu, or whatever. You get over it in a couple weeks, and then you go on about your business. People have been telling me those stories... All the way from back in November, I have that same story myself. My entire household has that story from late January, early February, where we all got sick and it lines up exactly with all the symptoms of COVID-19. It's been here. Our experts are now saying that they saw a spike in August of 2019, a spike of people in Wuhan all of a sudden wearing masks all over the place. They knew they knew COVID-19 was a thing back then. They tried to they tried to um, protect their people as much as possible, I guess. But it's why doctors that were trying to blow the whistle were getting sick. People were disappearing when they were trying to let the cat out of the bag and tell the rest of the world, Hey, you're about to have a pandemic on your hands if something isn't done. And in that time, this is why it spread so worldwide and why it got so bad. If you think from August all the way until February, when we halted travel from Wuhan, halted travel from China. It had all that time to run them up. Not just here, but all over the planet. It's just amazing. And the hypocrisy of the media when reporting on coronavirus and in what you can do, what you should get a pass for doing, and what you shouldn't be doing is, is quite amazing. I, I'm looking at two separate headlines from NPR, right? These stories were posted 15 minutes apart. Actually, if we want to be technical, it was 14 minutes apart. The first one says, Even in a pandemic, the WHO believes that public protests are important. In other words, we realize that we've told you to stay away from each other, but ending systematic racism... Police brutality and a nation built on white supremacy is much more important. 14 minutes after that, headline NPR Trump to restart political rallies this month despite coronavirus pandemic. Da-da-da. That's the hypocrisy. They get to pick and choose what they want. Now, some of this is very. Yeah, you can read into it and see what it is. For instance, the first one. The WHO is no better than the media. Actually, they're more dangerous than the media for obvious reasons, but they believe that the protests are more important, not because they care about systematic racism, not because the WHO, which is controlled by China, cares about justice around the world. It's because they realize the strife that, that it's causing this country. And that's what they want. That was China's purpose in the first place for keeping it hush-hush. You think about it, it was genius on their part to allow this thing to spread and get to the United States and wreck us economically. On the economic front, China had some real beef with us because we were pummeling them getting billions of dollars out of China, where for decades they had run roughshod on us and basically had their way. Had their way with the United States. And our so-called leaders, our so-called leaders allowed it to happen. They were in the back pocket of of China just as the uh, WHO is. So that's, uh, that's what's going on on the coronavirus front. We will obviously keep an eye on that. Uh, speaking of Trump restarting rallies, he's got one coming up. When is this? Uh, um, I believe he's doing a rally in Oklahoma. Maybe the end of this month. I don't have the date in front of me. But nonetheless, see, there, there's rallies. Rallies are going to be restarting. I don't know what those are going to look like. If there's going to be a limit on how many people can attend, if you got to be six feet apart, whatever, I say screw all of it. Just hold them like you've been holding them. Just get back to normal. We want to see them rallies. Hook us up. On the political side of things, outside of Donald Trump getting ready for his rallies, a lot of that, uh, people look at polls. Polling. Polling, polling, polling. Which, you guys know my stance on the polling. I think it's all bull crap. And uh, I, I really pay no attention to it anyway. Don't get me wrong, it's interesting to keep up with, especially as you get closer to the elections. I mean, once we're since we're this far out, these national pollings, even from the most prestigious polling organizations, they don't mean diddly squat. But of course the left is taking this the latest polls and uh, running with them because it's got Joe Biden beating Trump uh, by by a, a really big margin. That's right. Joe Biden with a tremendous lead over Donald Trump. A lead that they say... What was the stat I saw? It is the biggest lead that a... Contender has had over a sitting president since Bill Clinton in 1992. As you know, George H. W. Bush—he was—he um, was ushered in after Reagan, 88 to 92, and then 92 was Bush and Clinton. Well, Bush had only been in there one term, and Bill Clinton came out of nowhere. Was really getting hammered in, in the in the early days and then made a surge there towards the end and, and ended up winning and staying there for eight years. Uh, but they're really hanging their hat on this, and I say let them. Let them do it. They, they did it last time. Here's the thing. They, they've got this, this horrible habit of doing the same things over and over. It's what you guys know is the, the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same things over and over, expecting a different result. That's that's the Democrats. That's the Democrats in a nutshell. Race riots. Antifa. Everybody's a racist. Believe in the polls. Putting up an old, washed up white person that feels like it's their turn to be president. Screwing Bernie Sanders over for the nomination. It's just the same thing over and over. And they expect a different result. They expect to win the election. Now, I think there's a lot of... I don't want to say logical, but, th- but there's a lot of, of, of Democrats within the party that realize their party is in trouble. A lot of people who whose sole purpose on this planet, they feel, is to defeat Donald Trump in November. And they realize... They are in deep doo-doo at this point. That's why it's so important for them to get Joe Biden the right running mate. I don't know that that's going to make a difference. But Joe Biden... And here's what's going to hurt Joe Biden, okay? The the Democrat Party and and just the, the, the left's movements as of late. It's too far left to win an election. Defunding the police... You're not going to win an election with that. You're going to lose in a landslide with that. Um, uh, allowing uh, illegal immigrants to uh, obtain driver's licenses and social security—just a, a plethora of issues on the left that are extreme, far left. That eight, ten years ago, we would thought we would have thought, oh, that'll that'll never happen. Nobody would even dare bring that up. It'd be political suicide. But that's where we're at. We're there. We've we've literally got radical left groups taking over portions of of left, Democrat-run cities and claiming it as their own. And I'll give you a little background on that if you haven't heard of that here in a moment. All these extreme left policies, proposals, whatever they are. And here's Joe Biden who is a little more towards the middle of the road. He He's an old-school Democrat, right? The 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 owner of the 92-93 90, crime bill. This is a guy that that is from the old school back when there was a, a little bit of common sense on both sides, believe it or not. I know this seems like such a long time ago. But there was. There was, there was, there was a little bit of common sense on both sides. So he's... He's far left just because he panders, but he's pretty moderate within the Democrat Party. Well, the pandering on the priority list is is higher than actually sticking to what you've believed in over the years. So it's pushed him a little further left, but he's not too far just yet, right? So he's he's been asked about defunding the police. He's like, "Nah, we can't do that." You know, that's crazy talk. Whatever. But what the Democrat Party is going to make him do because he's losing that radical left base, which is a very very small portion of people. They're going to find a running mate, and it's got it's 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 basically the Equivalent of affirmative action because he said he promised to make it a female, and now with everything going on, it's got to be a black female. He's going to pick a far left extremist black female to be his running mate, and it's only going to make the situation worse for some reason. For some reason, and, and it's not about being inclusive. Or making sure everybody's got a voice. It has nothing to do with that. But for some reason, the Democrat Party as of late, over the past decade, has dedicated their strategy to coddling the smallest percentage of people. And what do I mean by that? Coddling the transgender community, right? Coddling these small groups, even the extreme left as a whole, no matter how much they scream, no matter how many buildings they spray paint or cop cars they set on fire, those groups aren't as big as they seem on TV. I can promise you that. But the left has pandered to these people. And... They can continue to do that, but they're never going to win states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio and Indiana. They're not going to win these states by pandering to those people. And those are the states you've got to have to win elections. So knock yourself out, buddy. As far as I'm concerned, you can uh, have a heyday. And keep pandering to those people. But middle America is never going to do it. It's also why they want to get rid of the electoral college. Y'all know this. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, I'm sure. But it's why they want the popular vote to decide the election. Because they cannot win what has been dubbed in the past flyover country. I don't feel it's flyover country anymore. Because the sitting president goes to all of these places... But the Democrats in their current states cannot win those states. You'll look at the map and say, you know, the president says 2016 was a landslide. And it, but there was a wide margin in the electoral college between Hillary and Trump. Okay, there's no arguing that. But it wasn't the biggest gap or the, the biggest landslide we've ever seen by a long shot. But if you look at the map, after each state is filled in either red or blue, it looks like 85-90% of the country is colored in red, right? It's because of the density of certain places. And that's why Hillary ends up winning the popular vote. You got a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. And so that's why when you hear people talk about why the Electoral College is so important, it's because three or four cities will decide each and every election. Democrats know they don't have time to do that, and that's why uh, they don't have time to to, uh, get rid of the Electoral College. I don't know that they even genuinely feel like they can pull that off, but it's why they push things like mail-in voting and... and, um, Uh, any, Any sort of new strategy that would make the polling booths or the polling places vulnerable or ripe for voter fraud. It's just their thing. Democrats spend their time and their energy, blood, sweat, and tears, finding ways to cheat the system, to fraudulently submit votes for themselves, and Republicans spend their blood, sweat, and tears trying to stop it. It's just, it's it's been that way for a long time. It's nothing new. But that's the stand of the Democrat Party. Not sure what they think they're doing, what they're going to do, whatever the case is. I say, just keep on keeping on, my Democrat brothers and sisters. Keep on keep them on. Because <laughs> they're going to learn at some point. At, at some point... There's got to be a revolution within the Democrat party. Now, I don't know when that'll be or how long it'll take because there is there, there there are your your Democrats that have been around for a long time, there's your new people, there's your Bernie bros, there's so many different factions that can't decide which direction they want the party to go. So it may end up being a thing where you just got to blow the whole thing up and start over, start a new party, which I'm I'm good with. You can, you can blow up the DNC if you want to. But they can't. Because they pander to those those small groups of people, they can't make everyone happy. They can't, they can't find that happy medium. And uh, it's, it's going to eventually be the death of those guys. So that's going on. Also, uh, on the front of the police, uh, George Floyd, uh, he had his... Uh, I guess it was his final funeral yesterday... I listened to some of it on a live stream. It was when I was listening, it was Al Sharpton, the the world's most famous race baiter on stage preaching. It, it turned into somewhat of a political rally because that's what that's what Democrats do. They'll take advantage of every every situation they can possibly get their hands on. But nonetheless, that happened and then the, the, the vilifying of police is continuing on and, and I was thinking about this today, where we have concentrated a lot on what happened to George Floyd. And we talked a lot about that on Monday, on Monday's podcast. Whether you want to concentrate on his background, his criminal rap sheet, if you want to go the route of he was a human being, which really we should all look at it as George Floyd is a human being that lost his life, somebody that shouldn't have lost his life. He should have simply ended up in jail that night and gone through the you know judicial process of of working out his charges or whatever. That's what should have happened. It didn't and it, it happened at the hands of a a person a, a, unfortunately a police officer that abused his his badge but the conversation has has revolved around that situation, the relationship between police and the black community, which is not a, a conversation that needs to go away. In my opinion, I think it's very important, and, and there are feelings within the black community that uh, that need to be addressed. and And really, I, I don't think I don't think the work is done until we get to a point where overall the black community feels comfortable with police, the police in their their own cities, the police in any city they go to visit, whether that's, you know, a, another black neighborhood, a white neighborhood, whatever the case is. We've got to get to the root of of that, and that should be the end result, that should be the end goal where where we don't where we don't have people, Americans feel that the police are out to get them. People shouldn't have to worry whether or not they're going to make it home or their kids are going to make it home because they might die at the hands of police. That should not be a thing. So I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get into the stats and, and how many unarmed people have died at the hands of police, so on and so forth. I want to concentrate tonight on the police in general and how we've allowed... We've allowed the good things that come out of our men and women in blue, the good things that come from those guys and the 99.9999% of interactions these guys have with the general public turn out to be positive. Not just, okay, we were nice to each other, he wrote me a ticket or he gave me a warning, I'm talking about those instances. I'm talking about the instances of these guys giving back to the community. I'm talking about in my hometown seeing the police officers bring cases of water and hand them to Black Lives Matter protesters as they march down the street with their protest. I'm talking about those things. I'm even talking about, I'm not big on the kneeling and y'all know that, I'm talking about police officers kneeling with protesters. These are positive interactions. We've allowed that to go by the wayside, and and we've allowed police, even people like myself, people that are against what they're seeing going on in the countries where peaceful protests at the hands of a few are turning into violent riots. We have allowed the police to be put in a category, willingly or unwillingly, to where they feel or they're being told they should be ashamed of themselves, they should be ashamed of their profession, and that they're just thugs, scumbags, scum of the earth. I saw a video today, and... It, it, it really hit me and made me reassess where I'd been focusing all my energy on on this whole topic and it was a a, a press conference that was held by uh, this was the uh, I, I don't want I don't want to pin this guy with a uh, with the wrong label here. I'm trying to find out. Who this is, Uh, NYPD, blah, 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 where you at? Um, Okay, I'm not going to be able to tell you who this is. I can't find it, but I want to play you the audio. This may be the union leader for the NYPD, but he just lays it out there, and he's like, here's the deal. We didn't do that evil action in Minneapolis, and we we overwhelmingly condemn it. But we are being vilified by the public, by the press, and we're told to be ashamed to wear this badge. It's pretty powerful, and it really got me thinking. Listen to this.
0: Interactions with the public every year. 375 million interactions. Overwhelmingly positive responses. Overwhelmingly positive responses. But I read in the papers all week, we all read in the papers, that in the black community, mothers are worried about their children getting home from school without being killed by a cop. What world are we living in? That doesn't happen. It does not happen. I am not Derek Shabon. They are not him. He killed someone. We didn't We are restrained. And you know what? I'm saying this to all the cops here. Because you know what? Everybody's trying to shame us. The legislators, the press, everybody's trying to shame us into being embarrassed about our profession. But you know what? This isn't stained by someone in Minneapolis. It's still got a shine on it. And so do theirs. So do theirs. Stop treating us like animals and bugs, and start treating us with some respect. That's what we're here today to say. We've been left out of the conversation. We've been vilified. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Trying to make us embarrassed of our profession. 375 million interactions, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive. Nobody talks about all the police officers that were killed in the last week in the United States of America, and there were a number of them. We don't condone Minneapolis. We roundly reject what he did as disgusting. It's disgusting. It's not what we do. It's not what police officers do. Our legislators abandoned us. The press is vilifying us.
1: Well, you know what, guys?
0: I'm proud to be a cop. And I'm going to continue to be proud to be a cop.
1: Now, every police officer all across this nation should be, still, should be proud to be a cop. For every cop that is a good cop out there, which, again, is the overwhelming majority, should not be ashamed for what they do. They should be praised. And I feel like this is all getting lost. Now, if you don't like the idea of every Black Lives Matter, every George Floyd, every defund the police protester out there being vilified and put into the same category as the Antifa anarchist, then don't put every police officer in the same category as this scumbag in Minneapolis. You can't have it both ways. You cannot have it both ways. But a lot of people are. A lot of people want to have their cake and eat it too, and it's not going to work. It is not going to work. So, I heard that, and I thought to myself, and maybe maybe this is just coming from A place. I've been in. I've really been in deep thought all day. Uh, Meditation, unwilling meditation, if you will. And I think it's because I I started a new diet today. I tried. uh, I I tried to find it off. I tried to prevent this from happening, right? But Trish, my girlfriend, uh, she she asked me and asked me and asked me over and over. Will you do this with me? We finally, like, you know what? Yeah. Fine. I'll do it. At first, I was like, no, my body, my choice. I'm not doing it. I choose what goes into my body. And then I gave in and I'm doing it. So it's got me in a different frame of mind. That's that's where my meditation comes from. Because as my stomach eats itself, I have to do some, some self-reflecting, if you will, about... Where my life is and what got me here to where I'm eating uh, three small or five small protein bars. Three small protein bars and two shakes a day. But as I heard that speech, I couldn't help but think, man, even in my position... And as much as I've talked about this issue over the past two weeks, doing the podcast, and and really a lot of this is what got the the podcast back going again, and I'm glad, I know a lot of you guys are glad you've reached out and said uh, how appreciative you are that the podcast is back up and going. I have really dropped the ball on making sure I am defending the police. Defending the good police. And if you think about it, in a lot of these cities, these police have had to up their responsibility 20-fold as they deal with protests that turn into riots. All the while, they're trying to do the right thing. All the while, police captains and lieutenants and, and, and officers are in the crowds of people. Some just going up to them just to listen. We've watched it happen in cities all over the country. We've watched it here at home in Birmingham, Alabama. I watched it happen in Hoover on uh, Saturday or Sunday. No one day this week. I can't even remember. But I was watching uh, the, the protest, the live stream on social media. And one of the the officers, he may have been the police captain for Hoover or whatever. I'm not exactly sure. But he went to the crowd and allowed them to talk to him about what their concerns were. And he listened. Did he take that stuff to heart? I don't know. I do know these police officers are still doing their jobs every day. They're still saving lives every day. They're still giving back to the community every day, and now they're trying to do the right thing by these protesters, and do the right thing by people who feel disenfranchised, who feel they have a reason to be afraid of the police. And I think there's a lot of factors involved in that. There's obvious reasons, like George Floyd. That's that's one big factor. Another factor is The media and politicians hyping up these situations where for every one time it happens, it's translated into a hundred times. And so when you have ten unarmed black people killed in twenty nineteen, it seems like a thousand. As well as a history of this thing happening. Now, when I say a history I mean, it used to happen a lot more often. And every year, especially since 2015-2016, that number has gotten lower and lower and lower. And it will continue to get lower. Because if you think about this, think about being an officer, being a white guy. If you're not a white guy, just for a moment. I don't want you to have to stay a white guy, because I know that can be kind of weird. Because white people are weird. Imagine being a white officer and getting into a situation where you may have to use excessive force, whether that's to save your life, uh, your your partner's life, uh, the, the life of civilians on the street, whatever the case is. And you know, one wrong move, one wrong move could ruin your life. I'm reminded of... Now, I'm I'm taking Minneapolis out of this because that was uh, completely excessive, completely unnecessary, and there's no excuse for this guy. But I think about situations like um, uh, Ferguson, Missouri, Michael Brown, where Michael Brown, who's still being held as a martyr, right, as an innocent black, unarmed black man that was shot and killed... By an officer just out looking for a a, a Brown person to kill. Michael Brown goes after this cop's gun. And then he ends up having to shoot and kill Michael Brown. Well, his life was ruined. It was absolutely ruined. And these officers, every single one of them. No, if they pull that gun and they pull that trigger. Especially... On a black person. And they have to shoot somebody. That they're taking a risk. No matter the circumstances. They're taking a risk. Of their life being ruined. Not just their career being ruined. But their entire life being ruined. They know that. And that. I, I'm not a police officer. So I can't speak to it. But it's got to be in the back of every officer's head. At all times. It's got to be. Think about being in a profession. Where one wrong move just doesn't cause you to lose your job, but literally ruins your life and possibly puts you in in prison for the rest of your life. Or even just puts you in jail till you can make bail. Puts you in a place confined with the same people you put in jail who probably have a beef with you. Imagine that. Imagine going to work every single day with that threat hanging over your head. My point in that is it's not an easy job. It's not an easy job, and we cannot allow this conversation to go in a direction that allows officers to be vilified or to feel like they should be ashamed of doing their job. Cuz this isn't this isn't the, the 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 Vietnam draft. These 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 people aren't forced to be police officers. These are people that voluntarily join the police academy to be a police officer because they wanted to. Some motives are different. Some people just you know, they you know, they, it's the Like the old saying, you know, you you see the kid that got picked on in high school and now all of a sudden he's a police officer and it's a power thing. And that certainly is the case sometimes. But again, overwhelming. The overwhelming number of police officers are doing it because they want to give back to their community. They may have had an interaction with a cop somewhere in, in their childhood or their teen years that changed their life. And their, their way to repay that guy is to go down that same path. Become a police officer and get back to the community. That's my only point. Don't allow the police officers to go by the wayside. Don't allow the baby to get thrown out with the bathwater, if you will. We'll talk more about it on the other side. It is Over the Line, Over the Line, the podcast your mom warned you about. Even though your mom doesn't really know what a podcast is. At Andrew McLean who on Twitter. One c Andrew McLean WHO. And over the line on Facebook. Obviously, if you're listening to this live, you are on Facebook. So you know that. But share the page. Facebook won't let us promote it. So it's uh, it's up to you guys to make that happen. Quick break. We'll be back right after this. Y'all hang tight.
0: Summertime.
1: Over the line Your 610 2020 edition June the 10th, 2020 Andrew McClain At Andrew McClain Who? once Y'all hooked that up Especially for those people that have uh, Have no idea who I am And just happen to stumble across the podcast Y'all add me on the Twitter That's where I post my most offensive post and my very deep thoughts uh, that I have on politics. As far as Facebook goes, that's a place for memes. That's a place for the great meme war of 2020. As we were talking about police last segment, uh, it is so important to remember not to to let these guys go by the wayside or not get the recognition they need because of the job they continue to do even while being demonized by the press being demonized by an entire political party being demonized by their own legislators it's uh, it, it's tragic, and, and I say that because things like this are still happening. From the Associated Press, a California sheriff's deputy was shot in the head earlier today in an ambush attack by a gunman intent on harming or killing police, authorities say. The gunman has not been captured. Literally shot in the head... And killed by a guy whose intent was to harm and or murder police. So now, now, just in the past month, the police that have been murdered in the line of duty is over double... The amount of unarmed, uh, uh, the the, the, um, the amount of unarmed black people that were killed in 2019 at the hands of police. I'm not dismissing one or the other. I'm saying that it has to be recognized what these police forces and these police officers are going through. I just sat through the funeral procession of a a, a police officer that was one of those 20-something officers killed in the last month. Right here in Moody, Alabama. An officer responded to a a, a domestic issue call at a, a Motel 8. He shows up. He's shot and killed. And God bless the, the community of Moody for coming together and, and sending that guy off in the most appropriate way. Lieutenant Lieutenant Williams a beautiful funeral a beautiful procession as they had the cranes hanging over the interstate an American flag. We've got to keep our eyes on what the police are going through as well. I can't stress that enough. And there's some people that are going to call me racist for saying this. Some people are going to call me, uh, tell me that I'm dismissing the movement. I'm dismissing uh, the, the, the conversation surrounding what's happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis. And I'm not. And if you're actually listening to me, you realize I'm not doing that. I'm just saying we've, we're going to have to focus on two things at once. Whether you like it or not. And if you refuse to. You are part of the problem. You are in fact part of the problem. Alright. So speaking of. Antifa. Scumbags. You ready for this? Antifa. Has. Officially. uh, Garnered their first. Their first piece of the caliphate, if you will. friend of mine, uh, Leland Whaley on, on 99.5, he's, he's, he's dubbed the Antifa Vanilla Isis, okay? <laughs> which, which is good because most of these people are white people and they're out, uh, you know, obviously destroying black communities, ruining people's lives all in the name of uh, Black Lives Mattering. It's 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 irony, I know. But Vanilla Isis in Seattle has overtaken a portion of the city. And I had... Man, Drudge just had a picture of the map up and they literally just took it down as we came back from that break. Um, let me see if I can find it so I can explain it to you a little bit. Um, We'll just do this number here. I'll just find a new one. Let's see. Antifa taking over Seattle. There we go. And they're planning on taking over more Seattle neighborhoods. Okay? So, what they've done, they've they've taken over this portion of the city, which is known as Capitol Hill. And they're calling it the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Alright? You can... Uh, you can see Seattle and Antifa on Twitter under at Rain City One Six One. Rain City One Sixty One. I don't know if that's an official Antifa Twitter or what, but that's that's who's talking about what's going on there. So regarding this autonomous zone that's been established by this Antifa-led mob. The source, according to the Post Millennial, uh, they said that they bar media from entering and screen people coming in. They're walking around fully armed, talking about making their own currency and making their own flag. The Seattle PD is talking about abandoning the West Precinct now. The West Precinct has the 911 call center. This is just like the Occupy movement. Soon we will have feces and drugs everywhere and people getting assaulted and raped in the encampments. They've been relocating everything quietly while the focus has been elsewhere. They know that, that it's only a matter of time before these fools have to direct their issues back on the police. Since yesterday... I haven't, and this is somebody speaking with anonymity, I haven't seen a single police officer or vehicle downtown. Even when they took over uh, City Hall, which I think that happened last night, there were no signs of of the police department at the headquarters across the street. So the, the, the main concern, according to this source... Is that the Seattle PD West Precinct also houses the 911 call center? And there's been reports of of sensitive material and equipment being moved out of the West Precinct. Walk in lobbies of all precincts are shut down as local officials appear to be conceding handing over more of the city as well as police precincts to Antifa. That is scary. Granted, it's in Seattle. But also, we thought when we saw these protests turned riots happening in the other cities, we never thought it would come to a place like Birmingham, Alabama, and there we were two Sundays ago. it happened to us. so don't count your chickens before they hatch now, the police abandoning these areas is is one of the more troublesome things in in you can't put it on the officers on the ground because these are people that are taking orders from somebody else. When we saw it happen in Minneapolis, that comes from the top very weak leadership and then weak leadership within the police department itself. But Antifa, just like ISIS, is trying to establish a caliphate in order to... To continue their reign of terror. Now if they're going to create their own currency. And try to just make their own country. They're, they're not going to make it. At some point they're going to have to come out of the caliphate. And ask somebody for some sugar or something. And say hey man we um, we don't have enough money to, to feed the village tonight. Can somebody order us some pizza? It's crazy it, it's like it, it's almost seems like something that you see happening in a different country some something in the Middle East and some of these cities look that way If you go to my Twitter feed and and go a couple days back uh, and I posted a video and it was a guy that was just videoing while he's driving down the street videoing the streets of Minneapolis after the riots. After the riots from you know a, a week ago or so. Whenever the, the big one was. And it looks like a war zone. It looks like Afghanistan. After the place had been bombed. Looked like a Moab was dropped on Minneapolis. And that's what the rest of these liberal cities are starting to look like. There's videos out there of New York City guy driving through Manhattan and showing plywood on the bottom level of every store around every single corner plywood and not for preventative measures these, this plywood is blocking the gaping holes where windows used to be and it's only getting worse because of the weak leadership in those cities they're allowing this thing to happen And I can't pretend to know what they're thinking. How they think this is going to benefit them. I know what their overall goal is. But how this is going to benefit them politically? They apparently ain't got a clue. Not in one clue. So we'll watch it. We'll see how it turns out. There'll be more um, happening. And we'll talk more about it when we get to uh, Friday's episode of Over the Line. The federal debt has officially topped $26 trillion as spending sets a new record. Some of that can be contributed, obviously, to COVID-19. If you missed the first part of the show, we told you about how COVID-19, every day that we hear more about it, the further we get into this pandemic, We find out more that makes the coronavirus uh, response seem like the biggest scam in the history of this planet. Currently, currently, the biggest scam in human history is global warming, at least on a financial front, right? That's the biggest scam in human history. But this coronavirus, COVID-19... May top global warming is the biggest scam in human history. The WHO now coming out and saying, well, it actually is very rare for asymptomatic people to spread the virus. Asymptomatic people being those that have the virus, but don't know it because they've got no symptoms. They're saying it is very rare... that or, or y'all understand what I'm saying? Very rare that you would be able to spread the virus if you're asymptomatic. That was a whole basis of people wearing masks in the first place. That was really what everything hinged on to, quote-unquote, slow the spread. And now we're finding out it's not even a thing... We're also finding out that in August, our intelligence is showing us China and Wuhan already knew about the virus. We're already taking preventative measures. And so for an entire six months or, or, or four months or whatever it is, this thing was allowed to spread all over the planet. And then we weren't able to take any action until February, when we shut down travel from Wuhan, and we shut down travel from China, and then ultimately Europe. We've done what we could, but this is this is turning out to be a, a big old fat scam. It really is. It's awful. Awful. Another scam is um a large company, loved by millions across this country, that is... Doing nothing other than scamming their self. NASCAR has announced that they are banning confederate flags at all their races. Now if you've ever been to a NASCAR race, and those of you that listen to the show that live in this area, you've probably been to the Talladega Super Speedway and seen a race. It's a lot of fun. I suggest, if you've never done it, go do it. It's just like a big party. A big three-day party. Can't beat it. It's uh, it's something I would recommend to anyone. But they are now banning the Confederate flag, which can be seen all over the place at any given race. And fans aren't... Uh, they aren't real excited about it. Now you may be from the uh, frame of mind or the thought process of, you know, the flag meaning Southern pride to you, but it's not that big of a deal if it's gone. If it makes people feel uncomfortable, that's fine. We just need the American flag anyway, blah, blah, blah. Then other people are thinking, hey, why are you bowing down to this stuff? The, the, the Confederate flag has been waved at NASCAR races for decades and decades. And it has not harmed one person. It hasn't. And you rarely hear of any, any sorts of uh, incidents of violence with, you know, occasional fist fight when they get drunk in the infield. No gunfights break out or anything like that in NASCAR race. Everything seems to be fine. But NASCAR felt the need to make uh, to 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 make that move and it's made a lot of people upset. It has. Now first of all, we need to be clear that history has been construed and the Civil War and the Confederacy has been turned into something it is not by some. And a lot of you You know your history. You know your stuff. I don't have to explain that to you. But some people live in a world where they view the Civil War as strictly a war about slavery, uh, which is not the case. So NASCAR announces that it's banned the Confederate flag from, from its races and from its properties. Their statement read... The presence of the Confederate flag at NASCAR events runs contrary to our commitment to providing a welcoming and inclusive environment for all fans, our competitors, and our industry. Bringing people together around a love for racing and the community that it creates is what makes our fans and sports special. The display of the Confederate flag will be prohibited from all NASCAR events And properties. Now, the Confederate flag not being able to be flown in a NASCAR race is not going to impact my life in any way, shape, or form. I also support NASCAR's ability and their right to do what they want with their business. Whether they're banning the Confederate flag or they even ban the American flag. Whatever they want to do, that's fine. But some people don't look it at it, don't look at it that way. Here's some reaction from some Twitter users. I'm just reading these randomly. Um, one guy says NASCAR banned the Confederate flag. Racism is over. We can all sing Kubaya now. But seriously, for once, NASCAR made the right call. Another tweeter on the Twitters. Said, good, pretty sure they don't allow Nazi flags at German sporting events. We shouldn't allow Confederate flags at U.S. sporting events. These are people that are in support of it, obviously. Another guy says, in less than a week, NASCAR sent a significant message denouncing racial injustice, allowing for peaceful protests during the National Anthem, embracing an inclusiveness initiative with the LGBTQ community. And banned the Confederate flag. The sport deserves well-earned admiration. Right, (laughs) because none of these social justice warriors are about to watch a race. Most of them can't even change a tire. Uh, Another guy said, this is on the other side, he said, This is the final straw. I've been watching NASCAR since the 70s. I used to go to races proudly with my pops. All lives matter. Stay out of politics. You lost a fan. Another guy says, good luck with that. I'll be bringing mine to every race. (laughs) He's going to buck the system. Another guy, and they allow the protest during the national anthem. To this son of a vet, thought he was going to go a different route there, this father of a vet and a vet NASCAR has gone too far for me. Another Twitter says, I love NASCAR and all, but this was unnecessary. It's a damn flag. It's a blue cross on a red background. How can you get offended by that? Another one says, I guess all of the attendees will be naked now. <laughs> well, that's true. You can't, uh... <laughs> you can't... If you can't wear your Confederate flag outfit, there's a lot of people that, that completely eliminated their NASCAR wardrobe. Uh, then another uh, aspect of this is uh, Bubba Wallace, who is NASCAR's only black driver. He uh, he called he was one of the ones that called for the removal of the flags, saying there's no place for it in the sport. And he and his team, Richard Petty Motorsports, they unveiled a special Black Lives Matter paint scheme that was placed on Wallace's number 43 Chevy. Wallace will race the vehicle tonight. I don't know if that race has started yet or not. It's in Martinsville. Um, but I, I, you know, obviously you're listening to this podcast and not watching it, so none of us know what's going on. On Twitter, as they unveiled that new color scheme, that new wrap for that car, somebody said, I'll pass on this race, all lives matter. Another said, uh, respect. Another guy said this. Thank you, NASCAR. Proud of our sport this week. Hashtag black lives matter. So that's the general sentiment from people on NASCAR and their new moves. What do y'all think? I'm curious to know. What I'll do is I'll post an article on the Over the Line page and y'all can give me some feedback on that. Just seems like a bad move to me. Again, removing the Confederate flag from all races. And, and, And it's not like they had cars on the track or they had any official NASCAR branding with the Confederate flag. This is all about what the fans like to support or like to represent, right? And it's NASCAR telling them they can't express their First Amendment rights in that manner while they're at their races, which they have the right to do. I just don't see it turning out well for NASCAR. I've already heard from a couple of people that said they're not watching NASCAR anymore. And and they may stick to that. I don't know. But I got to f- I, I've just got a feeling that it's going to turn out a lot like it did With the NFL and Colin Kaepernick. And that whole controversy. When it first started off. When it really got going. And people were burning their season tickets. And their jerseys. And whatever. I'm afraid it's going to turn out. A lot like that. What the end result will be. I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. But nonetheless. It's just not a very smart business move. On NASCAR's part. I get it. I, I get it. You're trying to be a part of the national conversation. You've probably been pressured for years over that flag, but again, I think there's an easy out on that by saying we will not brandish the Confederate flag on any of our cars, any of our logos, anything to do with NASCAR, any anything. We're not going to be putting the Confederate flag out there. But our fans, who have treated us so well for so many decades, we will allow them to safely exercise their First Amendment right. And if they want to uh, wear a uh, Confederate flag speedo in the infield of Talladega, they have every right to do so. That's my opinion. Uh, That's the route they should have taken. But oh well. Good l- good luck to you, uh, NASCAR. I don't know. I don't know what to say to you. It'll be interesting to see what happens. There's no doubt. Um, I may even check out the race just to see what it what it uh, what it looks like. Another thing will be the NFL coming up this season, where there's already talk of a lot of players taking a knee. Because that's where we're at. We, we've we've succumbed to the protest. Okay. Outside of the conversation, the protest itself causes controversy. Now, there's a lot of issues when it comes to the protest. I think it's on the protesters to stop the, the the violent riots that happen within those. Even though it's not them, I think it's on them to try to keep that from happening because it's hurting their message. Also, the protest of kneeling during the National Anthem hurts your message. There's really no point in doing it at at this point because it's all for show and it's all to stir the pot, right? You did it at first because you wanted to get the word out that there was an issue in this country, and don't give me this business about oh it's not about disrespecting the flag, it's bigger than that. No it is. It is. It's a shot at this country when you do it. I mean, ask Colin Kaepernick. The reason he does it is because he's he's not pro he's protesting the country, okay? He's protesting the country which he feels is built on white supremacy and operates under the pretense of racism. That's what it's about. Okay? Well, the conversation is happening. Everybody is aware of the issue that Colin Kaepernick and others have raised. We all know. So you kneeling de- during the National Anthem is not, is not shining light on anything for anybody. They all know. Taking a knee during the National Anthem, is, is not. there's not going to be one person in this country that sees that and goes, why in the world is he doing that? That's weird. Everybody knows. And now you know, Colin Kaepernick knows that it's a non starter for a conversation about these issues we have in this country, but yet he continues to do it. And that's where the disconnect comes. It's, it's a lot, it's just like the conversation we had with Jermaine Funny Man Johnson. I guess it was last week or whatever it was where he made some irresponsible comments and he refused to apologize for them. And it was keeping the conversation from advancing because everybody was getting hung up on the fact that he made irresponsible comments that got the crowd fired up that then went and, you know, rioted and looted the city of Birmingham, downtown Birmingham. If you know... What you're doing is causing a controversy that is not advancing your cause. Why do you continue to do it? Because at that point, it's pride, it's selfishness, and it's just to stir the pot. That's all it is. Because if you actually cared about your cause, you would do something else. There's a million ways to protest. To even just protest the country, to get your message across about how you hate this country so much and it's filled with racism and and run on white supremacy and everybody's got white privilege and blah. blah, blah. There's a million ways to get that message out. But there is a problem that you want a solution to but you can't seem to swallow your pride for 2 seconds. And find a different way to do your protest. You got every right to do it. He's got every NFL player in the league's got the right to do it. Does it make it right? No. But it's legal. The NFL is going to have a big decision to make coming up as to how they handle it. They completely blew it the last time around. Because they made sure to go to both sides and completely piss off both sides of this argument. But they got a whole new issue on their hands because there's a whole new set of circumstances and there's a whole new... There's a whole new feel. There's a whole new mood across this country. So, whatever happens, happens. But NASCAR, not NASCAR, but the NFL is going to have a Gonna have a rough time. <laughs> I do not was I do not want to be Roger Goodell, especially when both sides, both sides are calling for you to resign. That's not a good spot to be in. Listen, there's stuff we could talk about all night long. We just don't have time to do it. But the good news is we'll have uh we'll have another podcast coming up just in uh the next day or two. We're gonna keep on doing it. Now, if there's something that you want us to discuss on this show that's outside of the headlines of the day, all you got to do is let us know, and we can definitely hook it up. We have no problem. We always like input from you guys, so just give us a shout let us know. Hit us up through any of the social media, over the line on Facebook. Share the over the line page with your friends. Help us get some likes on there since Facebook won't let us promote. Uh, the page also on Twitter at Andrew McLean who and you can get all your uh, your political stuff and all some memes this that and the other on there again one more reminder next week talk 995 three to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time all week long you will have Andrew McLean we'll still try to do our podcast that week as well it's not um, it's not easy to pull off, but we do what we can do because we love you. We love you long time. Every one of y'all, even the ones that hate us. Don't have a, um, a wonderful night, a wonderful day, whenever you listen to this, and we'll talk to you next time. Until then, see you, cool.